0: Well, I'm so excited to welcome Chris Brandt, the Chief Marketing Officer of Chipotle. Welcome to our CMO series. Thank you for joining.
1: Thank you. Happy to be here.
0: And I have to st- before I even jump into the questions. As a long-time vegan, thank you for the cauliflower rice and for adding in um, sofritas. I was so excited when that happened. Do you find that people? I mean, because you've been—I mean, you're a top Chipotle. You're with blooming brands. Thank you, by the way, for perpetuating the Australian culture without back steakhouse and, um, <laughs> right. and Taco Bell. Do people just unload on you when they meet you because they know where you're working? And do they tell you their food stories? Is that like? A, does that come with the territory?
1: Story? it it sure does I'll tell you it's one of the it's one of the coolest things too because you know everybody will tell you at Chipotle like how much they love the brand or you know what they did in college they, they all have such good stories I think one of the things about Chipotle is people are always smiling like when Chipotle shows up at your door you're happy if yeah. you go in Chipotle you're happy and so they always they always have great stories and they're always um Willing to tell you, I, th- I tell you, it's great to walk around a conference or something with Chipotle on your badge because everybody has good stories and they really love the brand and we're having a highly engaged group. And they also tell me how their college students love it and their high school age kids love it. So yeah, it's, uh, it's very fun to be a part of it. The downside is though that, um, you know, that uh, everybody is also a marketer. And so there's a lot of advice um, that comes along with the territory as well, but uh, it's all fun too.
0: Yeah, it's funny. Um, so before I ran a technology company, I actually trained as a lawyer. And I found that one of the one of the funny things with that people are like you're a lawyer, that's so great. So I got this parking ticket the other day. Yeah. and like, <laughs> you're know, Like, firstly, like, if you have a civil law matter in New South Wales, Australia, I am your shooter. And if your problem occurred like 10 years ago, you know, when I graduated. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah, I think somebody asked me, uh, you know, you know, how do you when, when you ask me, well, you're the CMO of Chipotle, what does that mean? And I just tell him, well, I said, I'm in charge of all of the advertising and all of the media buys and all of the innovation. So if there's something you don't like about Chipotle, it's probably my fault.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's amazing. Well, look, I mean, there's all of the media, there's all the advertising, but I mean, that jumps into, I think the first thing that I want to discuss, which is you're also responsible for the experience of Chipotle, and, you know, particularly in the last, you know, year, year and a half that we've had, navigating what's happening in culture and figuring out how to be a part of that. Can you talk a little bit about what that's been like? I mean, they've, I feel like you guys didn't skip a beat, but I'm sure there were moments where you sort of looked out at the world and just went, wow, like, this is going to be, you know, this is going to be a really, really big challenge
1: sure i think everybody you know had those moments and i think you know it goes back to a little bit to 2018 when a lot of the when i came on and a lot of the people that are in our group we certainly have some legacy people but a lot of the the this marketing group over the last 3 years really started in 2018 and our goal was really to make the brand more visible make the brand more relevant and make the brand more loved and we knew we could make the brand more visible by changing up our media plan and and doing a lot of shifts there and 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 But relevant and loved really were more formidable goals, right? And so I think that we really wanted to be a part – one of our core things was we wanted to help to be driving culture. And that was – so we had kind of three main tenets. We want to um, drive difference, we want to drive purchase, and then we wanted to drive culture. And the difference was our real food and our food with integrity and our real ingredients and all of those things and telling those stories. Um, driving, we wanted to drive transactions. And that was really through new products and through our digital system. But the last one that you were touching on there was really driving culture. And that was a bit of a reach for us. I think certainly in 2018, we just wanted to honestly be a part of culture. And um, so that meant we really had to change a lot of the things that we're doing. We had to kind of release some of the shackles a little bit. We're really fortunate Chipotle. We have a young consumer. So half of our consumers are Gen Z or millennial. That's about a twice the index in normal fast casual. And so those people want to engage and where do they want to engage? Well, they're going to engage on social media. And so we set about with a, a very different social media strategy than they had before with much less controlling, um, much more insight driven. And then we got some people who were really good at understanding Chipotle and then also understanding what how, how culture relates to Chipotle in terms of, you know, we found out things like, Chipotle is one of the first places that um, young people go on a first date. And, you know, and and there's a very, there's very, your order is very personal, right? And you can tell a Chipotle consumer um, right away. If you just ask them one question, if you just ask, what's your order at Chipotle? And they'll go down the line. They'll say, oh, it's white rice, chicken, blah, blah, blah. If they say it's a chicken burrito, you know, they're not really a Real Chipotle customers. consumer. And I- so. I think that we just wanted to really leverage all of those things and we wanted to be a part of what was going on and we really wanted to be relevant to people in their 20s and why people in their 20s? Well, because people in their 20s are what defines culture, whether it's in food or whether it's in sport or whether it's in, you know, art or whatever. That's that's how culture gets defined. And so we just thought, well, if, and, and the other part of that is everybody wants to be 20, right? Whether you're 40 or whether you're 12, you'd like to be in your 20s. And so Um, We feel like if we can stay relevant with them and stay at the forefront of what's cool and figure out what are the things that are cool that um, are relevant to our brand, then we'll win. And I think so we set that up really in 2018 and 2019 and had a good road. But then I think the litmus test, you know, I said, right, right as we were going out for quarantine, so kind of in that second week of March, I guess. Uh, I was like, well, we're going to find out, you know, how good we we think we are, right? And and so I think that the team did a great job. They figured out, look, everybody's going to be on Zoom, so we had these uh, Chipotle get-togethers beginning that Monday. So I think it was like Monday the fifteenth or sixteenth of March that we had the first one, and then we had for the whole week where we had celebrities come in and people do things because we knew people were just going to be on Zoom really for the first time, and so that was pretty cool. And then we had virtual things. We had a virtual prom. We used all of those tools and. And it really was a credit to hiring a good team because I think that that's the the best thing you can do as a leader is get really good people and you get and you, you give them a framework and a direction and you unshackle them and you let them go and I think that you know, one of the big things I place I place a premium on is people with ideas because mm-hmm. I think ideas you know they differentiate you they separate you and they enable you to win and you let them execute those ideas and you know not all of them are going to work but that's okay. And uh, there's a few big ones and we find and we start small. So we start small with something. If it works, we'll pour the gas to it. If it doesn't, we'll pivot away and do something else. And look, it's not failure if you learn something. So I think that that team and our social team, they had a great sense of what the brand is about and the tone of the brand that we wanted to do and the things that we don't want to do anymore. And so that really, you know, 2018 and 2019 really set us up very to be 2020 and to leverage all the digital infrastructure we put in in those years helped immensely in 2020 as well I think if you know we were I was thinking the other day boy if the pandemic had happened to us in 2019 or 2018 boy it would have been a lot different story but we just didn't we just didn't have the digital system ready but when it did happen you know we I guess we're as ready as anybody could be for an unexpected global pandemic and the shift to digital was a huge thing and the shift to social was not it wasn't something that we weren't used to i mean we poured all the gas to it and flipped it but you know we had we had laid a good foundation and so we were lucky in that sense
0: no oh, that's incredible i think uh in a couple of these sorts of conversations I've been having, the recurring theme has been, you know, the best time to prepare for a crisis is not when the crisis is happening. So
1: it sounds like
0: inadvertently, you know, you would gotten things ready. Um, I'm personally still just feeling the terror of having to reveal a Chipotle order on a first date. That feels like, that feels like an incredibly like you're starting there, right? You're going, it's, uh, you're revealing a lot about yourself and and your personal tastes and your do's and don'ts. It's, it's interesting that people would choose that for a first date.
1: Well, I think that you know, I think it. The the good news is they like what it says about them and about yeah. Chipotle and and kind of, you know, with our food with integrity and responsible sourcing. It, and it's a it's a very I think it, it gives you, a. there's a little bit of peek into your personality, but it's not too bad, right? It's not
0: everything, all... <laughs> right? <laughs> well, but, but I think that uh, that's definitely reflected, you know, I was looking at your social presence and there's a really um, nice mix between elevating like what your own consumers have been saying and sort of leveraging UGC, but there's also, you know, things from you directly, but there's a really nice interplay, but it, it does feel like, you're letting your consumers express themselves and sort of show what's individual about them.
1: It's wonderful you say that because our kind of our social strategy is to supercharge the super fans and to let them, you know, we don't, we don't, I don't ever wanna pay an influencer to do something who's not a Chipotle consumer at heart already. I think the beauty we have of this brand is there's so many people, whether it's professional athletes or musicians or whatever, that already really like Chipotle and have posted about it or something. And we can approach them and say, hey, you know, um, what would you like to do? Let's do something interesting. Let's do something around that. And so they're already big fans of the brand. So it all feels very authentic and transparent because it is authentic and transparent. And that's been a real hallmark for us that um, we just want to find those super fans and we want to, you know, let their voices be heard, if you will. And, and the great thing is that they'll, you know, when people, you know, inevitably in that social world, there's a lot of haters and they do a great it's job fun. of saying things to the haters that we'd like to say, but maybe we can't say, and, you know, providing a positive counterbalance to some of the, some of the stuff that happens, you know, on all those channels. So that's a, I'm glad you say that because it's, it really, maybe our strategy is showing, but that's, it's, it's pretty cool.
0: No, it, it sure is. And I think, you know, I think the other thing that that makes me think of, which I wasn't going to talk about, but I'll raise because you said that, is, you know, your approach just to influences in general. I, I, I get a sense that you will forego, like you'll go with who's right and not just necessarily with who's most popular. Like, can you talk a little bit about how you've approached influences? I know that's, you know, that's incredibly top of mind right now for many of the CMOs we're talking to.
1: Yeah, I think that again, they they need to be authentic fans of the brand. We're just we're not going to try to convince somebody who's not because it just it won't it won't come across well and you'll get gold, right? And so, and not all of not all of our influencers happen to have to have a huge following. We're lucky that we've had some, like we did something with Sean Mendez. I think he's got 70 million people that follow him on social. Um, but you know, I think that we're happy to provide, you know, there's been a we've been really active on TikTok. And I think that TikTok will tell you is one of the best brands on the platform because when we got on the platform, we really wanna understand that platform and understand the right way. So whether it's TikTok or whether it's Facebook or whether it's Snap um, or Instagram or whatever, we wanna make sure that our creative and our tone is relevant to that particular channel. Um, and so with TikTok, I mean, we had talked to TikTok probably three or four months, um, probably at the end of 2018, we were talking to it, but we didn't have the right execution. Um, one of our um, employees sent us this lid flip challenge where he could um, just knock the bowl down and it flips up the lid and puts it on top. And we're like, Oh, that's pretty cool. And so we put it on our, uh, we put it on Instagram. And I think we got a million views that fast. We thought, Oh my gosh, this could be the first challenge. So this was back before brands were doing much on TikTok, And we did the lid flip challenge. And I think we got I don't know, like 200 million views, and then it just sort of snowballed from there. It's like, okay, we really want to understand those channels and have relevant advertising that makes sense in those channels. So that's it's just going to look different what you do on Snapchat versus what you do in other places. And I think that you know that's been a big part of how we do of how we do it. And not every influencer has to be huge if they're really authentic and they're clever then let's pour the gas to them as well. Um, those tend to be a little bit more economical than some of the big people. But, you know, like Miley Cyrus said something about the brand. She was, she was relevant in culture.
0: Miley Burrito. Um, and all of
1: a sudden we had, you know, the Miley Burrito on there. And again, I think that speaks to the personal, you know, the personalization of your Chipotle order more so than in any other place. That we, when you can put your order on there, and we've done it with, you know, athletes from the U S women's soccer team. And we did it with Tony Hawk and we did it. um, We're going to do it with some Olympians and those kind of things. And so it's really personal, but it's, but I think it also says, look, whatever lifestyle you have, you can find your fit at Chipotle. And that's a pretty cool place to be.
0: Let's, so, you know, you talk, you sort of threw out what you've done on TikTok. I know you've done some, you know, some stuff around esports and you're, I I get a sense of like, you guys are almost always on the new platforms first. So that's got to be hard. Like on the one hand, I know it's you know, that you kind of throw it out as if it's, the, if it's the easiest thing ever. But can you talk a little bit about how you approach these, you know, more progressive slash unknown areas thoughtfully? How do you balance that? Because I know Chipotle is, you know, targeting 20-somethings, but you're also a huge organization. And I'm sure it's not that easy um, to, you know, to always, to always push big new concepts through.
1: Yeah, you know, we're not that big. I think that we have a pretty small market. The nice thing about Chipotle is we run all of our own restaurants. You know, we own every single restaurant. And so we don't have um, a lot of franchisees that mm-hmm. we um, have to work. We don't have a holding company that we have to answer to. It's just us. And so, you know, between me and my couple of VPs of marketing, we're the decision makers. We, you know... And um, I, I need to cover off the CEO on occasion, but by and large, people have kind of let us run. And so I think that it's very flat. It's very quick. And so it enables us to be nimble. But my number one rule of marketing is just don't be lame. I would rather do nothing than be lame. And so that, I think the TikTok example is a good one because it took three or four months before we figured out what the right thing to do to debut there was. In esports was another good example that, look, when I started in 2018, I had two two teenage boys, and all they were doing was playing Fortnite. I mean, you know, it was like Fortnite was single handedly lowering the GPA of every kid that age. You know, like in, in, back in 2018. And we thought, well, I want to be part of that passion, and we know our consumer is there. So how do we do it in the right way? And we spent a lot of time, and it was helpful for me because uh, you know I played video games since I was a kid, but it was helpful for me to understand that culture because that culture is less like Uh, more traditional competitive sports and more like, you know, freestyle skiing or skateboarding where it's a collective just because I win doesn't mean you have to lose. And that people were, and it was, and it's still a a business and and still uh, an industry that's evolving. And so we wanted to, you
0: know, and
1: and we wanted to get into it in the right way, not necessarily like we're going to be a big brand and we're going to make a splash and we're going to get, you know, the biggest influencer. And we're going to walk him around these, um, you know, big events and having sign autographs. That's not, yeah, that right. That's not the way to do it. And so we, you know, I, I always wanted to feel like, um, an endemic sponsor, like one whose parks So I remember I, I learned this term back when I was in, actually it was at general mills and I was talking with the magazine publisher and I said, well, how's your business? And they're like, well, it's good with the individuals on ski magazine. They're like, it's good with the endemic sponsors, but it's not so good otherwise. And I'm like, huh. Um endemic means like, so this was sort of skis and boots and poles and whatever. And I'm like, Oh, well, I want my brand, if it's going to be in ski magazine, to feel like it's an endemic brand. We wanted to feel like we're part of that community and eSports. And the good news is we had a lot of eSports guys and gals who were eating Chipotle, and they liked the social benefit uh, messaging that Chipotle has, and they love the food and they were at home, and we were promoting delivery and our delivery channels and so. It was all a nice, a nice synergy, but we purposefully kind of took it slow, because we wanted to, we didn't wanted to avoid any big mistakes, and we just again we'll start small, we'll pour the gas to what works, and we'll keep building it every single year, and um, you know that's that's worked really well for us. I think we've we've made some great strides. The best compliment we get is when people say, "Man, you guys have felt like you've been part of the industry for a long time," and uh, that's a pretty fun place to be. So I, the other part is you know to your point about trying new platforms we don't want to be lame. So we need to understand what that platform is and why we use it. We just did actually um, we're on the search search like a lot of brands for more employees. And just uh, last week we were on discord. And I don't, I mean, I've never felt older than getting on discord. Discord's really hard to navigate or hard for me to navigate. And I, I'm like, how do you, how does this work? And, but you know, we, we had that. So I think that, and, and, you know, we did a good job of just being sort of native to that platform and native to that content. And so, but, you know, the other part is we have the freedom to try stuff and, you know, sometimes it's better to to try and, and be 80% of the way there than, um, you know, wait another six months and be a 90% of the way there. You're never going to get to a hundred percent. But I think that that we have a culture where we want to try stuff. I want to hire people who are, you know, one of the best pieces of advice I got about hiring was, you know, you want to rein in the stallion, not beat the neck, right? So you want to hire those really go-getter folks. And, and that's who our consumer is um, by and large. So, but they want to, ha- they have ideas and they want to go execute them. So, you know, let's, let's give them some freedom to try some different things. And it's great to, it, I think one of the, one of the beauties and the curses of the retail world is you're only as good as last week. I mean, it doesn't matter what you did last year. It's like, how am I, I'm always trying to, beat last year, beat last year, beat last year. And I tell people, look, if you do your job this year, the same as you did last year, you're falling behind because the world's not getting any easier. It's not getting any less complex. So you just have to embrace that and find new things to do. And, um, you know, so we try a lot of stuff. Um, um a lot of things work. Some things don't, but that's okay.
0: Yeah, well, when when you're going through your test and learns, or you know, maybe just overall, what is the role of data and insights? Because I think you, you said something that was really important. Um, which was this whole concept of like, gosh, I'd rather move ahead with, you know, 70% certainty or 60% certainty, but go much faster. And I think, you know, we often hear this too when people are evaluating new platforms. It's like, yeah, we want to be first, you know, we want to innovate, but yep. we need to do the case studies. We need to know the ROI. We need to know, you know, and you're like, well, listen, you can, you can have one or the other. But how do you set up like data and insights to help you know when you're winning?
1: Yeah, it's a balance, as you, as you mentioned. I mean, it's, um, you know, there's an art and science to doing this. And I think that um, the art of it is coming up with ideas and trying new things. The, the good news for marketing is the science is caught up. You know, there used to be that old adage that says, half my marketing money's wasted, I just don't know which half. It's just, it's really not true anymore. And so, but I think that you don't do things just because you can measure them. And just because you can measure them doesn't mean you shouldn't do them um, uh, or you should do them. And so I think that there's some things that are really hard to measure that we just are going to do because we think it's the right thing and in culture. But we are trying to triangulate and measure. And, and one of the things that Chipotle didn't have before I arrived was a whole marketing analytics function. So we have built a marketing analytics function and, you know, our rise of digital and putting things in digital, the beauty of that is you can test and learn, test and learn, test to learn on a really rapid basis. So we're constantly optimizing our digital creative and putting a lot of different ideas out there and measuring every one. We're absolutely ruthless about the creative or the emails, which ones work, you know, do a little bit of a test first, then, then, you know, launch that one with more money and we're constantly adjusting um which of the creative gets more backing and all of those things but there's a lot of things that we do um that you know our tv creative we're not spending a lot of time you know in doing a lot of ad testing and those kind of things Um, we kind of have figured out over time we have tested some things almost just to figure out which ads are the best ones that we have so and and learn from those so we can continue to optimize but um there's an art and a science we don't. the data is a tool. It is not the ultimate decision maker. Um, sometimes you just have to take a little bit of a chance. And you know now, once you know you've been doing it, a, you know I've been doing this a long time, but you kind of know what's going to work. You kind of have a set sixth sense of what's going to work and what's not, you know m- maybe is a little bit more risky. And so those you might smart start a little smaller, but now we have a pretty good, and the team collectively has a pretty good idea of the things that are really going to take off. And so, we have a lot of institutional knowledge. We're not, we're not, you know, wasting our time proving things we already know. And I think that there sometimes there's a lot of testing done and there's a lot of analytics done just to be a little bit of CYA. If it doesn't work out, yeah, we don't have that environment. And so, um, you know, and that's a credit to. Brian Nick was a CEO I've worked with a couple times, and I think that our collective, hey, you know, we trust you guys to to make the right calls and do the right thing. So we don't have to spend a lot of time testing stuff just for those purposes. We test it to really to make sure we're optimizing it and we have the most efficient and effective marketing plan that we can, um, not for any other reason, which kind of gets you caught up and slows you down. Um, yeah. So and, you know, and there's there's plenty of time to test things that you know. W- we did and you know why didn't it work as well as we thought or man that really worked great why because i think that that you, you always test the stuff and maybe learn more from the stuff that doesn't work but we try to learn a lot from the things that does work and emulate that the next time we do it too
0: yeah well i think the important sort of well one of the most important things in what you just said was that failure is okay you know, because I think if you make failure okay and an opportunity to learn, then the test and learns don't become test and prove or test and CYA, right? It actually genuinely goes, hey, we we really do want to know why this does or doesn't work, so we can improve.
1: Yeah, and I think you know it, that's incumbent upon you know one of the one of the toughest things about marketing, or one of the things that I would advise any marketing person to do is you you really have to have a great relationship with your CEO, your chief financial officer as well as your chief technology officer and um because the CTO is going to make your marketing dreams come true you know whether it's in the app or wh- whatever and you know the CEO if he has confidence that I am making a lot of decisions based upon the financial analysis I think one of the um uh, I was a I was a finance person early in my career and made a pivot to marketing when I went back to business school um, because I just like that idea of trying to figure out what people do and, and why they make those decisions and enticing them to, to make purchases. And those things was really, was really cool to me. And I like the art and the, that, that part of, um, of the job. But uh, I think that the financial background gave me a lot of confidence in the numbers. We were doing some pretty heavy duty finance um, things at the time. And so it gives me a lot of confidence with the numbers. I understand the margins, I understand what works. And so when he knows that, hey, we're measuring all this stuff, and, you know, we're trying to be as efficient and effective as we can. And then we're putting the results on the sheet. So, you know, it's it's one of the things that we did, you know, really beginning back in 2018, and we've continued our marketing has been really effective, um, that that gives them a lot of confidence that, hey, we are measuring it. And I care. Yeah, I think you also need to be a holistic business leader. you can't just be the marketing person, you need to, you know, my job is to drive more transactions. It's, it's interesting that there seems to be a lot of talk about this existential crisis in marketing, like, well, what is your role? I'm very clear, what my, what my role needs to be, I need to build sales today and the brand for tomorrow. And you'd like that both of those things happen all the time, but something, some things are more sales today. Some things are more brand for tomorrow and you just have to have a balance of those things. But I know my job is to bring more people in this year than came in last year. And we need to do the things, the right things to make that happen.
0: Yeah, I love that description because I feel like, yeah, so many of the conversations I've been having are this sort of tension between being a brand marketer and sort of thinking long term and then being more of a performance marketer and thinking short term. So it's the answer is both, right? Would you prefer your left arm or your right leg?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great analogy. And I, you know, I, I love that term performance marketing, like for digital and things, because every, all of your marketing should be performance marketing. You can't afford that it isn't. And, you know, some, you know, TV is harder to measure and cross-platform attribution and everything are harder to measure. But sometimes horseshoe is close enough, right? And so you can kind of sort, and you know. And the other part is the interrelationship between those things is also something that people discount. Like if you have a really good TV plan, man, it's gonna make all the other stuff work a lot harder. And whether you can, the last click attribution goes to Facebook or goes to TV, no one really knows, but that's okay. But if you're kind of looking at those, and so, you know, we created that market analytics group, we've made it, it's a really integral part, I mean, we're not just kind of running around here throwing out a bunch of ideas, we we are grounded, and we do try to measure as much as we can, just so we learn, it's not a second guessing mechanism, it's a mechanism so that we can learn, and we'll fail quickly, and we'll fail cheaply, and we won't repeat the same mistakes, we'll just keep going.
0: Oh, I love it. Um, and I did notice, I wanted to talk to you about, you know, you began in the finance and investment space and then you've been at General Mills, you've been at Big G Cereals, Nature Valley. I mean, some incredible brands as, as you reflect on your career to date, what has been the most influential decision for you? Uh,
1: it was certainly that decision. I mean, to, in, in business school to change to marketing versus um, finance. And I think that, you know, I, 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 I didn't, you know, like most people, I didn't know what what I wanted to do coming out of college, but I went to go work for a bank and and, and I worked for places that would train you how to do things. So when I, I went to work for a big bank and they trained me how to analyze a company for credit risk, which is a great thing to understand financial statements and financial management and understanding those things. And you take that as a base wherever you go. But um, it, later in my finance career, so before I went to business school, I was much more involved in business development. And I liked that part about figuring out with the consumer. So when I went back to school, it was interesting. I had a very, so I, I graduated business school, gosh, in 1998. So feels like yesterday, but it was quite a while ago. But at that time, I really, I wanted to get into marketing. And I knew if I was going to make the shift to marketing, I had to get a marketing internship, mm-hmm. right? And so I really wanted a marketing internship, but it was it's not exactly easy to shift careers right and so I remember I had a great offer from a finance firm that was the darling of the industry at the time and I had an offer to go to a brand company uh, to Korox and be and do my internship and I thought wow what a crossroads this is I mean this is like the dream shot for finance to get to this one or you could go there and i and I knew well I'm not going to get a a brand marketing job at unless I can can walk the talk and speak the language and know the jargon and all those things and so I went to Corax I had a great experience um, ultimately got an offer from General Mills and went there because we just we like the brands we like the culture there and they were a, another place that taught you how to do stuff so I would advise some people ask well, what's your best advice you know when you're starting out I'm like go places where they're going to teach you how to do stuff because that's going to be invaluable for you. So I, you know, I had a, basically a finance education in banking and then in, in um, investment banking. And then I got one, you know, at um, at Clorox and ultimately at General Mills and brand. And then I got a real marketing education at places like Taco Bell and Blumen Brands. And so, you know, it all has come to fruition um, here at Chipotle, which has been great.
0: How did, you, how did you know that you were ready to make the change? Because that was a huge change, right? It was night and day. Everyone around you must have been like, what's going on? You know, like, how, how did you know inside of yourself that it was right?
1: I don't, you know, I just felt like the marketing job for me personally would have been more fun. It was going to be more fun. And it was good. And candidly, I thought, you know what? They, they really like my background now doing three months at this marketing job, isn't going to turn them off to me if I come back, you know? So I thought rightly or wrongly, you know, I was, I thought I was hedging my bet a little bit that maybe I'll still be able to get a job there. But, you know, I think that you got to figure out, I saw this thing, uh, yesterday, this guy says, you know, um, people give young people advice about follow your passion. And he goes, that's the stupid advice, stupidest advice I've ever heard, <laughs> right? He says, well, how are you gonna make money at that? And then another friend of mine, uh, I remember his daughter said like, she's an environmental science major. And um, he goes, well, why are you taking all this math, all this heavy duty math in college if you're an environmental science major? She goes, well, cause I really like math. And he goes, well, is there anything that you like that you can make money at? <laughs> and, and I thought, it was such a great question. And so I felt like I could be really good at marketing. I think I could be a good, I'm a good finance person, but I, I worked at this investment bank. I saw these guys and they could rattle the numbers. And I'm like, I just, and then, you know, you see, well, what is your career going to be like 10 years down the road? And I'm like, I don't know that I want to do that. I don't know that they were the model for what I thought my life wanted to be. And I thought that I would get, oh, just have more fun doing this other thing and that I thought I could be successful at. I thought that I had a good balance of the art and science. I thought if I look at my own strengths, I'm better at that balance than other people and maybe that'll work. And I think that marketing world sort of caught up to me, right? With all the finance background and then all of the digital and all the measurement and stuff that's happened that wasn't there, you know, back in nineteen ninety-eight. Um, but that has been easier for me because of all that financial and numbers background and all those things. That's been easier for me. So it it was a hard decision, but at the end of the day, you know, I I, I had a, a similar decision, like when I was in college You know, I went as an engineering major and I'm like, I just, I'm just not as good at this as other people are, but I was really good at economics. And so I'm like, well, I'm one of the top kids in the class here. I don't think I'm going to be one of the top engineers in the class. So I might want to figure out something different. And I remember when I told my dad, you know, that I wasn't going to be an engineer. He's like, <laughs> you know, I think you're going it's to, be I think you're going to be poor. Right. But that's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, yeah, you know, I think it worked out. Okay. But, uh, you know, that was a little bit of follow your passion, but, or follow, but I was really, fo- I, I liked it and I was, good at i felt like i was better at it than most people so find what you're better at than other people at least in general and if you can figure out where that fits if you're better at rock collecting i don't know that might not be the best career. but maybe there's people who but but i'm like you know odds are if i understand money and 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 i liked economics because it explained to me how the world worked and why people made decisions they did and i thought that seems like a pretty good thing to know and um maybe I can make money out of something, but there was no grand vision. I don't think I even knew, like when I was back being an econ major, I didn't even know what a CMO was. I mean, I didn't know all that marketing was very foreign to me. And I sort of got that. And I remember being in business school actually, and people go, well, what do you want to do when you graduate business school? I said, well, I think I want to go into brand management. And they're like, well, what is that? I'm like, well, you're kind of the general manager of this business. And so you own whatever product it is and you can own the P&L and you make a lot of decisions. They're like, well, that's pretty cool. And I'm like, I think it's pretty cool too. But people just didn't really, I don't know or appreciate it. And I didn't know those jobs existed really till I got to business school either. So I don't know. I think that you just got to kind of find your own way. And there is something to following what your passion is, but you know, go with what you're good at. Um, because that's going to be helpful.
0: Yeah, and no, I, I love that extra dimension, but I think it's it's particularly timely advice because I think there is still, even though we all know that it's not realistic, there's still this pressure on new grads and even you know people who are a certain way in their career to be like, have this perfect path of what they're going to go next. And it's just, it's really oh. interesting to hear you talk about that intersection. Yeah, like, I got to... A-
1: Yeah, I 100% agree. And I think the process right now is, it's completely broken. I mean, it's just, I've got, because I've got uh, uh, one who's going to be, he just finished his junior year in college and I got, uh, my youngest is about to go in, about to be a freshman. And the process, especially during COVID that's happened, I thought, I thought my, I thought my seniors process was tough, but my youngest now with COVID and everything, I think applications are up 20% and, you know, there are even fewer spots and, it's just, it's it's really tough for kids because no, it doesn't matter. You could have a sixteen hundred on the SAT, you're going to get rejected from places. And so the amount of rejection that these kids have from all of these different places and what they have to go through just to get into college, uh, boy, it's a far cry from. You know, I think I hand wrote my essay. When I applied. And so it's a far cry from those days and the pressure that's put on them. And to your point. The pressure to know exactly what you want to do when you're 18 years old and of, you know, right. just getting out of sure. high school is an unrealistic expectation for so many kids. But they feel so pressured that I hope that they have the courage to find it in college and do some exploration and change. Because I feel like we're just, you know, we don't, you want people who can think. You don't just want people who are in a box who can do this. And I think that's one of the criticisms of kids getting out. is like, well, they don't have any practical knowledge. Well. You know, you got to be able to think that's the best thing you can learn coming out of college is think um, and think strategically and maybe think a little bit differently than somebody else, because that's what's going to set you apart.
0: Yeah. And I love what you said earlier of like you want people with ideas. You know, I think that's that's great. So last question for you. um, What are you excited about staring out into the future? Like what's the next hurdle or mountain to climb for you?
1: You know, look, we, I, I think, I, I love working at Chipotle, and I think that we feel like, you know, our real food is better. It's better for you as a person. It's better for people in general, better for the planet. We only have about 2,800 restaurants. We think we can have 6,000 in the United States. We're just starting overseas. Um, so I think, and I think that the world wants what we sell, is responsibly raised, craveable, you know, real food. You think, well, what Chipotle is, is um, Cravable food that you feel good about eating. Think how rare that is in your life. Most things that are craveable, <laughs> you don't feel that good about. Most good. <laughs> things you feel good about eating don't taste that great. So I feel like we're at this great intersection. And I, I do, I, I tell my team, I'm like, uh, the brand purpose at Chipotle is really special. And it's really, uh, was underappreciated until I got here. And this brand purpose of cultivating a better world and doing things the right way is core in the company and was there from the founder. And It's such a, a, it's such a powerful weapon for us that people feel like we're doing the right thing. I tell my team, look, good guys are supposed to win. We're the good guys. So go win. Right. And I think so. I think the opportunity for Chipotle is still pretty huge. I think that people are understanding of food and understanding the correct, the, the direct connection between how food is raised and prepared and how it tastes is, is more now than it has ever been. And, um, you know, Chipotle had a big part of that. So I'm proud to continue Chipotle's tradition, but I also think we just have a, a real chance to help people eat better, eat better for themselves and eat better for the environment. And the, the purpose at Chipotle is real. It's not a made up thing. It's not a, a chart on the wall. It lives in people's hearts. And um, I just, I think it's great. We've got some great, you know, more practically, we've got some great new items coming down the pike. You know, cauliflower rice was a big success. <laughs> we Queso last year was a big success. Um, we've got an exciting new one coming in the fall. Um, And so, you know, there's a lot of fun things. There's a lot of fun things we're doing in marketing. I'm really proud of like our real food print where we're actually showing in your digital order how you're helping the planet versus conventionally raised ingredients that Chipotle doesn't buy. So we, you know, so ours are more sustainable for the planet. I'm excited about telling those stories. And uh, my team is great. They're great. It's a great team. There's a lot of great chemistry. They're nice people to hang around. I think that's the other secret ingredient is you know, we weren't going to hire, I, I, I've interviewed every single person on my marketing team at Chipotle, every single one. And, you know, by the time they get to me, they've passed all of the, um, are the, can they, do they have the ideas, can they do the job or whatever, but I'm looking for like that culture fit. And I call it, you have to pass the conference room test. So if you have to go in a conference room at four or five o'clock on a Friday, are you going to be happy to see that person or are you going to be sad? <laughs> And we're not hiring any of the people who we would be sad to see, no matter how qualified they may be or no matter what they know, because collaboration is a big part of what we do. And, you know, one person is smart, but all of us are a lot smarter. And so we need a team chemistry. And one, you know, one of the things, one bad apple does ruin the bunch. And, uh, you know, I think that I'm I'm excited about the future. because I think we're just getting started, uh, you know, just three years in. And uh, I'm just, I'm excited about that that future and the future of food. Um, I think it's, I think it's going to be a fun ride for sure.
0: I love it. Well, listen, it was such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you so much for joining, Chris.
1: Thank you for having me. I really enjoyed it.